Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Antioch. My name is Josh Butler, and it's great to be with you. I've loved being with you there in person in the past, and I'm stoked to be with you here today, even if it's online digitally. Well, it all began with a grasp. Adam and Eve clutching after that forbidden fruit in Genesis 3. Now, whether that fruit was an apple or an orange or a pomegranate, we're not really told, but what the fruit was is less significant than what the fruit represented, which was our desire to be like God rather than with God. And our grasping was rooted in a lie, the lie that God was ultimately himself a self-grasping God. If you remember in Genesis 3, the lie of the serpent was essentially that God knows if you eat of this, you're going to become like him, knowing good and evil. And essentially, since God is trying to protect himself, he's grasping, holding, clutching after the stuff for himself. He's trying to keep you down, keep something back from you. And believing the lie of the self-grasping God, we became a self-grasping people. What we're going to see today, however, is that God is not a self-grasping God, but rather a self-giving God. We are going to be in Philippians 2, so if you have your Bible and want to turn there, that would be great. And Philippians 2 is one of our passages for Palm Sunday today, where Palm Sunday is a time where we commemorate Christ entering Jerusalem the week of his crucifixion. And on Palm Sunday, we take this time to commemorate and prepare our hearts for Good Friday, where we commemorate the death of Christ on the cross on our behalf. And one of the passages for this Sunday in the lectionary here is Philippians 2, which draws our eyes and attention to what Christ is going to do for us on the cross. And as we step into Philippians 2, we find today that Philippians 2 is the answer to Genesis 3. That Philippians 2 and what goes right in Christ is the answer to what went wrong in Genesis 3. And in Christ, we discover that God is not self-grasping, but self-giving. That God's not self-grasping, but self-giving. And when he gets hold of our lives, we can become self-giving too. So the title for the message today is Give Up the Grasp. Let's turn to Philippians 2 and read beginning in verse 5. All right, in verse 5 we read, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We see here that Jesus has an unclenched fist. Jesus has an unclenched fist. It says that even though he was in the very form of God, Jesus was in nature God, he did not count that status, that reality is something to be grasped after, to be clutched or held onto and clung to for his own sake, but rather that he emptied himself, that he gave of himself, taking on the form of a servant. The irony here is that Jesus actually has the thing that Adam and Eve were grasping after, the thing that we have grasped, or the desire to be like God rather than with God. Jesus actually is God, and so Jesus is like God. He has the very thing that so often we have grasped after. 
And yet, though he had it, he did not cling to it for himself, but was willing to let go of that status, so to speak, to become like a man, to take on our human nature. The irony that we wanted to be like God rather than with God, but Jesus became like us to be with us in his incarnation. We find here that Jesus is downwardly mobile, that so many of us, we are all upwardly mobile, striving after that next degree, that education, that home, that career, that retirement plan, trying to work our way up the ladder. Now, maybe you've heard of the super zips, kind of these studies on what are called the super zip codes, where the idea is that if you live in, uh, let's say you have an Ivy League education, you're making six figures, that kind of thing, the chances are the vast majority of people in your zip code uh, statistically have the same. And often in many uh, cities and urban environments, particularly today, we can find almost like concentric circles as you work your way out. You can find the concentration of wealth and education and status and all those things at the center and gradually works its way out. And so often we are fighting, climbing, trying to get as high up the rung, as high uh, towards the center, as high up the ladder as we can. We find here with Jesus that he moves the other direction. That even though he had the highest status, he lived in the superest of super zips and heaven above with God, full status, equality with God, that he himself became downwardly mobile. He emptied himself, taking on the form of man. What this means in the gospel is that the gospel is not about you going out to find God. It's God coming to find you. It's not about you working your way up the ladder to get the status and achievement and reputation where God will finally go, okay, I guess I can hang out with you now. No, it's Jesus who had all status, all achievement, who is the highest of the high, and he came down to meet us in our tough places, in our broken places. The gospel is not about you climbing the sacred mountain to get to God. The gospel is about God who has come down the mountain to find you. It's not about you finding the light switch and having to find the light switch to flip it on and and make things bright again. It's the light of the world who has come into our darkness and invites us to step out of the shadows. Jesus is inviting you to step out of the shadows this morning. He shows up with an unclenched fist, offering his hand to bring you out to be with him. The question is whether we'll unclench our fist from the things that we're clinging to to come and be with him, the one who has come to be with us. All right, well, let's keep reading here and picking up in verse 8. Verse 8, we read, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Well, here we find that Jesus entered the death grip of sin. That not only did he not grasp after uh the, the things that he actually had right to hold on to. But in letting go of them and coming to be with us, he entered the death grip of our condition. We read that he humbled himself, not only becoming a servant, as we saw, like not only in his incarnation taking the form of humanity, Jesus is like, I'm, I'm going even lower. Not only becoming human, I'm gonna become a slave, it says. He became a servant or where there's literally, he became a slave, the lowest place, the lowest position in 
society. And not only that, he kept going and going, I'm going to go even lower. Jesus came, not only did he become a slave, he went all the way into our grave. He brought himself to the lowest point, the lowest condition, allowing himself to be grasped by the death grip of sin that held us captive. Now, the beauty of this is that Jesus is active in this. Jesus is no mere passive victim who just kind of got caught off guard and was like, oh, I didn't see that coming. No, what we find in the gospel is that Jesus is actively going towards the cross for our sake. Read here in Philippians 2, it says that he humbled himself. The wording, wording here is all active language. He humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant. He became obedient to death. Jesus is on a mission, and that mission climaxes in the cross, where he not only lives the life that we were supposed to live, but he dies the death that was ours to die. I love in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus is a jaguar out to devour death. As he goes to the cross on this week on Palm Sunday, as we set our eyes towards Good Friday and the crucifixion and what Jesus has gone to uh, the cross to do, I want to invite you to consider that Jesus, again, he's not a mere victim who was caught off guard. He's actively humbling himself, actively going to the cross, actively uh, becoming obedient to death. He's actively taking on the consequences of our sin and our rebellion, and he's actively entering into the condition that you and I find ourselves in, under the curse of sin and death. He's going into that place to unite himself with us there. He's going into the grip of death, ultimately to grip and grasp on to us, to unite his life with ours, to meet us in our lowest point, to be united and bound with us there through the power of his spirit in order that he might raise us with him on the other side. Jesus enters the grip of death. Well, I think this is significant. It challenges our thoughts around our conception of where you go to find God. Where, where do you go to find God? I think many of us, if you're like me, man, we think about where do we go to find God? We tend to default thinking, well, you go to the mountaintop, right? You go to the highest place, the high point. And uh, the thought is often, man, if we can get up the mountain to the retreat, to the cabin, to the guru who sits up there, to the whatever, we can do to kind of get away from the chaos and the noise and the clutter and the muck of life and get to the high spot, the transcendent place where we can look out over everything and there's peace and there's calm and there's quiet and there's stillness. Our thought is usually like that's where we'll most intimately find God. And the gospel confronts that. Now, the reality is there is truth to that. I love going to the mountains is fine. And I love retreat and rest and solace. These are good things. And those are themes, having solitude and rest and solace um, and, and place to contemplate and to draw close to God and nature. And all those things are really good things. But the gospel confronts the idea that that's where we're going to most intimately find God. Because in the gospel, we find this counterintuitive reality that God is in the God-forsaken places. That the Christ who has gone to the cross and has now sent forth his spirit, he encounters and goes out to meet us in our world in the slums and the war zones. That perhaps 
more powerfully and intimately than the high points of life, Jesus meets us in our suffering. Jesus has come to meet you and to encounter you in the places where you feel in the grip of death, in the grip of sin. Maybe it's addictions that you just can't quite seem to break. Maybe it's that heartache that just you can't get over that relationship from uh, that, that went south and broke open. Maybe it's that diagnosis that's uh, just got you wrenched with fear about what's coming right now. Rather than minimizing the pain of those things and saying, well, you just got to forget about it. I don't know. No, the gospel says Jesus has come to meet you there. He has come to enter in through his spirit and to find you in the places that seem beyond reach. I remember uh, years ago, there was a family, a missionary family. They had moved to the Philippines. They moved into a slum with their uh, multiple kids, and they were living in uh, basically a, a house made out of cardboard, and there was sewage running out uh, the the, the front door, like right out in front of their home. And they had moved in, uh, working with community, community development and uh, missionary work uh, in this community. And they were back home in my hometown for a visit on furlough. And they were talking with some friends there. And their friends were asking like, um, Man, what, what inspired you? How, how could you kind of pick up and move? And, and, and you know, that, that just seems counterintuitive to move into a place like that. And before you had all the security and safety and benefits and wealth and different things that, um, that seem like, how could you let go of that to go there? And the response has always struck me. They said, um, they kind of laughed a bit, laughed it off. And they're like, oh, we just found out where Jesus was living and moved in with him. We just found out where Jesus was living and we moved in next door. And the idea for them was going, yeah, we actually believe that God is, you know, God of all creation. He's everywhere. And yet God has intimately identified himself with the places that are difficult, that are wounded, that are hurting in our world. And Jesus has come to reach out to you in the places that are difficult and wounded and hurting in your own life. I want to ask this morning, where are the, where's the slums that are at a place? Where are the places that feel hard hit and hurting and just, man, this feels like it's not the way it's supposed to be. And the places that feel like, man, I, I got to ignore and get away from this to go out and find God out there. Jesus is going, no, I've come to encounter you there, to meet you there, to move in and dwell with you, to be with you and to bring you my spirit, my presence in the areas where you just feel like you're in the grip of things that you can't break out of or can't get away from the hold of. Jesus has come at the cross to meet us in those places, but ultimately through his resurrection to raise us on the other side. Okay, well, let's continue in verse 9 to 11. We read, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We find here that you can be grasped by grace. That because of Jesus' victory, you and I can be grasped by grace. I love how Paul says, therefore, that therefore, because Jesus did not grasp for himself, but gave of himself, because he emptied himself and was obedient even to the point of death that Jesus poured himself out 
for us, because he perfectly displayed the divine self-giving life of God, that Jesus therefore has been exalted to the highest place and given the name that is above every name. And what this means is that the one who died for you now lives for you. And that in him, you and I can receive life from him, the risen and exalted and ascended Lord. That we can receive his self-giving life. We find in Christ that God is not the self-grasping God, but the self-giving God, and now we can receive our life from him, the risen and ascended king. Well, I love how Paul also says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, when he says every knee shall bow, uh, that's not saying that uh, every person is going to be forced to become a Christian or whatever, but it's saying that every person is going to acknowledge at the end, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God has established him as the earth's rightful king. The reality is, even the demons acknowledge that Christ is Lord, uh, and so every knee shall bow, every knee shall acknowledge, but the question is whether we will do so in joy or in defeat, whether we shall do so sharing and participating in his victory because he is our king or uh, resistant, but kind of, oh man, I guess Jesus actually is king, even though we don't want him to. And my question is, what would prevent you from today, like, enjoy bending the knee before Jesus, enjoy opening up our, our tongue in proclamation and our knee in joyful submission and saying, yes, Jesus, you are my king. I think the only thing that really would prevent us from opening our hands and surrender and worship to him is if we're clinging and clutching and grasping to other things that we hold too dear, idols of the heart and things that we would exalt over him and declare is too important to us to let him really have, to surrender to him and give him control over. So I want to ask you this morning the question, what are you holding on to? What are you grasping? Is there anything that you're grasping to more tightly than Jesus? Anything that really ultimately has it's clutches on you. Maybe it's uh, a particular relationship or maybe it's that career or maybe it's something that you've, you've done or your own works to get to God. Maybe it's something that's been done to you, a, a hurt that you're harboring. There's so many things that we can cling to and refuse to surrender over and give to Jesus. The question this morning is, what are you grasping after? A famous illustration you may have heard before, but I take this cup of water and I would ask you, like, how heavy is this? How heavy? And you could guess however many, six ounces, 20 ounces, whatever. But the answer is this is as heavy as, as it is as long as I hold it. Right? It depends on how long I hold it. That after a minute, I can hold this fine. But after 10 minutes, after an hour, after five days, th this gets heavier the longer I hold on to it. The reality is these things that you and I, that we grasp after, that we cling to and hold on to, whatever you would put in this cup, so to speak, metaphorically, whatever thing, that bitterness, that unforgiveness, that uh, idol, that, that thing that you've made more important in your life than God, that other person maybe, that whatever it could be, that those things over time, they, they, they weigh you down, they stray you. And the invitation of the gospel is to not cling or clutch after these things that we use to try and justify ourselves and make ourselves feel good enough or upright enough or vindicated enough, rather the invitation is to stop grasping, to let go, to give those over to God and to receive his life, open surrender.
because we find in Jesus is we find the self-giving God, a God who is not grasping after, but has given of himself for us. And so let's worship him with all of our lives and fully surrender all of our lives to him with open hands. Would you join me in prayer? Well, Jesus, today we want to give up the grasp, God. We thank you, Jesus, that you did not grasp after even those things that were rightfully yours to hold on to in order to give yourself for us. And God, this morning, we want to let go of any things we might be clutching to, Lord, that kind of keep us distant from you. And instead, God, we don't want to cling in our clutches and things. God, we want to be grasped by your grace, God. The reality that it's not about us going out to try and get you, but it's you who have come get us, that you, Jesus, you have come for us with an unclenched fist, God, not clinging after what was rightfully yours, but downwardly mobile to find us in our brokenness and our hardest places. God, you have come looking not for our trophies, but our scars. And Jesus, we thank you that you have entered into darkest place, Lord, you went all the way to the lowest place, even into the grave and into the grip of death to encounter us in our hardest places. And I thank you, God, that means that, man, you find us in our hurt, God. I pray for this morning for those who are hurting, for those who are frustrated, for those who are in difficult spots today. Holy Spirit, minister to your people, very presence of Jesus. And Jesus, I thank you that because of your victory, you have been risen and exalted over all. God, that now we can be grasped by grace, that we can let go of the things we've been grasping after and clutching to, and we can receive your self-giving life, God, through your very presence, Lord, your spirit. We receive your grace, Lord, we receive your mercy, we receive, God, your presence, and God, we receive your outstretched hand, God. God, may our outstretched hands meet yours as you lift us up and to join with you in the heights of the heavenly places, Lord, secure in you, Jesus pray all these things, and I pray, God, your blessing, your life, your abundance, God, over Antioch, church in the season. Uh, we give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory, Lord, forever. Amen.